so just very just to set the scene um i really believe that our broader investment market believes in impact they want impact but they want good solutions they, they want you know packaged um, fun solutions that they can get exposure to hello and welcome to the impact for breakfast podcast series Impact for Breakfast is an informal network of foundations, funds, venture philanthropy and intermediary organizations with a common focus on social enterprise, entrepreneurship and impact investing. In this episode, Heather Jackson, CEO at RBN Fund Managers, speaks about narrowing the gap between the rhetoric and reality of impact investing. She draws on her experience and shares her thoughts on scaling quality impact solutions. and welcome. Um, to those I've not chatted to yet, extra welcome <laughs> to those of all of you. Um, it's great to have you all here this morning at the second breakfast for Impact for Breakfast. Um, some of you are more experienced in this actually than me because I could not attend the last one. So um, it's great to have you. I know some of you looked at that one as well. And then for those of you who haven't joined one of these before, this is Impact for Breakfast. And very quickly, um, if you haven't had a chance to look it up, it's essentially a network. There are chapters all around the world. It's fascinating if you haven't. I love every now and again, I go and scroll through and see, you know, what new chapters there are, really interesting places. And they kind of post what their different topics are that they're discussing. So it's really interesting to see what's happening. And essentially, an informal network around the world of chapters and people who are like-minded either in or um, directly involved in or interested in um, or connected to impact investing and really the idea around these breakfasts um, and so the Cape Town chapter as I said this is the second breakfast so the Cape Town chapter is very new on the block um, but already growing there's already I think over 80 members or something now I think in the Cape Town chapter so that's great and um, so you can also go and see other people just in this chapter as well might not be actually at the breakfasts yet um, and the idea is really that there are these opportunities to connect and meet and hear from really interesting people in our space. Um, the idea is that it really is very relational and um, kind of intimate. So as much as the chapters might get very large, the idea is that these engagements always remain quite small. And uh, so there really is an opportunity to chat and engage and ask questions and really have interesting discussion. And so it's not a big time commitment. So it's one and a half hours and you know, come to the ones that are interesting and when you're available and it'll be great to have you. And um, sorry, I also just realized I didn't actually introduce myself and you don't all know me. So I'm Gabrielle Haberton and I'm part of the Relative Impact team. And so we really are just put our hands up um, and volunteer to say we'll just kind of do the back end um, side of the chapter and here and in some other places where we have offices as well. So there's Johannesburg, there's Toronto and soon to be Wellington and New Zealand is also going to be starting. So that's exciting. Um, and so you can also see um, what's happening in those places if you are interested. And so then, I think, is that all of that stuff? Colin, have I covered everything? Okay, thank you. Keeping me on track. Um, and then this morning, I am really delighted to introduce you to Heather Jackson, if you have not met Heather before. Um, Heather and I were chatting the other day and trying to track back, and we pinpointed it to quite a significant milestone in terms of we were traveling and um, doing due diligence for what then became an, one of the first, I think, Maybe really. You're not going to go there. <laughs> <laughs> but an interesting impact fund. But that was the beginning of 2009. So we were kind of engaging, obviously, in 2008 and 2009. And it's just been amazing. Heather's been such a... Um, you can have access to her bio. I'm not going to read her bio, but um, give you more of a personal angle. Just been at it for a long time. <laughs> yeah, an amazingly serious person. And, and, and Heather's always been such a, a pioneer 
and such a such a big voice that's been so incredibly needed in the sector and really driving and and Heather's held and continues to hold a number of really important leadership roles in the space on various um, boards and committees etc so um, it's just really just the perspective and experience and knowledge that she brings in terms of really building the space in South Africa and those connections and opportunities is immense so it's really great to have you to share with us today Heather um, and without further ado I'm going to hand over to you right. and so yeah Thank you very much. Um, yeah, I, I've got a few slides, um, but, you know, and thank you for introducing yourselves. I think I've got a, at least a clearer idea now of, of um, backgrounds and, and hopefully interests, but I really, it's not meant to be a, you know, me kind of preaching to you. It's meant to be engaging in a conversation. So, um, I've, yeah, I, I, I'm very happy to share um, you know what what we've built over the years and kind of thoughts about impact investing and I wholly agree with you about the and actually interestingly I mean I think what you said applies much more to the ESG kind of space um, and you know impact washing or ESG washing because impact is actually forward-looking it's a strategy it's not ESG as a framework in my view anyway it's you know it's about you know that kind of backward-looking measurement if you like where impact is very forward-looking and you know, you can be agnostic as to whether it's for financial, yeah. you know, plus returns or capital back or, or minus. That, you know, there's a spectrum there. Anyway, yeah. but we can, yeah. <laughs> we can get there. Um, maybe just to begin, because I think it is um, uh, quite touching, actually, in terms of the, the, the background that, that, we, that we share. And it kind of happened by accident in, in many ways and a very happy accident. Um, so back in, in 2007, and this was when, before it was termed impact investing, it was called SRI back in, back in the day. And, um, and people did think we were very wonky and, <laughs> and odd and, and um, always tied with that charitable brush and mm. we were kind of, no, it's quite possible to actually earn financial returns and that's mm. always been our stance because, um, you know, as, as a, a, an investment professional and I come very much out of a traditional investment background, um, you have to wear a fiduciary hat. No, nobody wants their pension fund to be put at, at risk. And so part of the challenge over the years has been to convince people that there are actually good financial opportunities with impact, alongside impact, and at scale. <laughs> and it's, you know, and hopefully that's what we've been part of demonstrating over the years and, and building these big funds to say it is actually possible and why don't more people, you know, look, look to do this. So the, the way that we began um, was I was with a company called Katie's Asset Management at the time, and I was frankly a little bit burnt out and, and a bit fed up with traditional, um, I was a fixed income investor. And I kind of wanted a change and I wasn't sure um, what that looked like. And there'd been a whole lot of corporate activity in the background and they had kind of tied me in and, um, and I said, look, I want out now. And this was in yeah, 2007. Mm -hmm. And they said, no, 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 we don't want to lose you. Won't you consider doing something else? And I was like, I, you know. <laughs> and, um, and then it, it gave me the opportunity to sort of take a little bit of a back seat and think about what I wanted to do. And on the side, I was managing, a, well, we didn't call it impact, but like a little fund. And I thought, that's really what I want to get into. That's, I want to have that kind of meaning, marry my investment expertise with, with that. And they said, fine, you know, what do you need? Which was actually extraordinary, you know, to actually take that gamble yeah. on. And fortuitously, I sat on um, the Katie's the Foundation's um, board as a trustee, and Greater Capital, who were this amazing organization, Greater Good at the time, um, they were advisors to the foundation. And they were just a really, really well-structured, um, purposeful foundation doing a lot of good work and gave us great advice. And we struck up a rapport. And um, coincidentally, um, brilliantly, they had been commissioned um, that year to conduct a study, a survey of social enterprises in South Africa who were sustainable, i.e. had a reasonable turnover, and importantly were looking for growth capital. So they were looking for expansion capital mostly debt, um, and Danny Bradlow at the time was commissioned to do this, this survey um, out of the US, and he spent 10 months working with Greater Good, compiling you know, this pipeline essentially 
of social enterprises that, you know, across the range were potential investable opportunities. And I mean, that was manna from heaven for us. So very unusually, we entered into a formal joint venture, 50-50 revenue sharing joint venture with Greater Good um, at the time. And that gave us kind of our impact credentials, if you like, because how are we going to originate? How are we going to find these investments, you know, coming from our traditional background? So we had that. We had the impact component because Greater Good were very good at um, doing impact measurement properly, even before it was, you know, faddish. Um, and, and that was the, the genesis of, of where we started. And it was a remarkable joint venture. Unfortunately, Katie sort of, and Greta, they were they both kind of <laughs> had their own <laughs> things happening. Um, but my very good partner, who was the MD of Greater Good at the time, uh, Dean Han, who's now um, head of research at Jin, director of research, um, she then joined our new startup, Atlantic. Mm. And, um, and we worked very closely together in, in, a, in a team. Um, and yeah, we just you know, grew from, from strength to strength, I think, in terms of, of that. I mean, there's, you know, there are always challenges. People come and go and, and, and whatever. Um, but that, and so, to my first, we actually lived this without knowing it. <laughs> so, and this was actually um, a, a study conducted um, by people from Case and Jed Emerson and a lot of luminaries in the impact space. They did a sort of part qualitative but mostly empirical study of impact investors around the world. And they, what they were trying to distill was what are the key characteristics that sort of herald success? So what, what makes for a good impact investor? And, and it just rings so true. Um, these are four characteristics that distinguish and set, a, set apart an impact investor. Um, effective partnership with the public sector, which is a strange one, um, but I'll, I'll you know, talk to you more about what we've, what we've done because it is unfortunately very true. Mm. Um, you do need a capable state, and we were chatting about it a little bit earlier. Mm. Um, you know, I think we could say we kind of have that in the Western Cape to, to a large extent, and it serves us well. Mm. Um, we, we really need that. And the example I'm going to share with you is working with our National Treasury's Jobs Fund, which we've done over many, many years, and that is a prime example of mm. a really a capable state. But you, you do need that. Um, you need um, to, you know, these are blended finance structures typically that, that you're building and that is the secret source of impact investing is you can align your impact mission to, you know, those who are able to provide more charitable, philanthropic, whatever, you know, that catalytic capital that um, gives rise to the blended finance solution and it, it, it's a, a huge advantage that impact investing has in terms of structuring these kinds of, of solutions. So yes, use of catalytic uh, capital. And then the interesting one is, um, you know, born out of our experience of working mm. together. This is cross-cutting. You want to work with a diverse group of people. It's, mm. Impact investing to me is essentially collaborative. Mm. It's about taking the best of this and this and this. And it makes it for it being very complex. I mean, you're working in that um, outcomes, you know, health uh, bond. I, I mean, you know, it's, it's not easy, right? Yeah. But if you get it right, it's phenomenal. And you prove, um, you know, concept, then you can really scale. And, and that for us has been a really driving force of how do we do that? You know, prove, you use this additionality, you build it in, prove concept, and then, and then you've got a track record that you can go out and people do want to support that. Mm. Um, and then very importantly, it's about the financial returns existing alongside the, the impact returns and doing that intentionally. It's this forward-looking strategy. You know what you want to achieve. It's job creation. It's climate you know, change. It's adaptation. It's whatever. You, you, you set out with the intention to do that, um, so you need to be set up to measure it. And I'd love to hear more from you about how you do that, because the reality is, and, and again, maybe you know, that's where the potentially the catalytic capital comes in, but it's expensive to do impact yeah. measurement properly. And that's something yeah. that I don't think we really talk about enough. So, and you know, in my world, pension funds will accept anecdotal stuff. They, they just, mm. they will, because they're not prepared to pay for the impact, yeah. Yeah. actually. Yeah. So it's a, it's a challenge, you know, how do you, how do you, you know, create something that, that, that is credible, that, that is verified, evidenced, mm. you know, and all those good things. So that, that, that is, is, a, is a big challenge. Um, <clears throat> so I'm sure you're very familiar with this, but this is the, 
I, I've been using this slide for, for a long time because I, I find it just still, it just encapsulates, it's very powerful in terms of um, you know, not being prescriptive about what impact investing is, but knowing where you fit um, in the sort of matrix of, of options, if you like. So you've got your um, financial returns um, on your y-axis over here, and then your social or environmental returns down here, and what we all know is we don't want to be down here underperforming, right? But we want to, as financial people, we definitely have a benchmark kind of financial floor that we need to achieve above. The vast majority of investments sit here, you know, JSC and your pension funds mm -hmm. and insurance funds, etc., are, are, are sitting are sitting here, uh, perhaps with an ESG filter, and the vast majority of um, charitable philanthropic ventures are obviously are, are sitting here. So as impact investors, we kind of want to hoik the two into, into this quadrant. Um, and, and then, you know, the choices are you finance first or, or impact first. Um, and, you know, you can, obviously that's, yeah, that's um, up, to, up to people to, de to determine. Um, mm -hmm. But we've always been very intentional around, this is very possible. We're going to do both and do, you know, do both, do both well. Um, I'm going to, I, was, I sort of toyed with it earlier, but I'm going to say it because we're talking about capable state. Mm -hmm. um, I once had a very interesting conversation with a politically kind of connected person, I suppose, who drew something, and I was like, but this perfectly maps to this graph. Mm -hmm. So I'll just share it with you quickly because I think it's very interesting. Is if you, if you look at, and it's not necessarily just a dichotomy of DA, AMC, mm -hmm. but um, if you look at our politicians and to the point of a capable state, um, you could actually, if you change the, the labels on these axes and you, and you um, put, it, put boldness um, and efficiency, um, boldness of policy of, of your, uh, your, what you're trying to achieve, um, and then you put it the, the DA here, it was put to me anyway that the DA is super efficient, but not terribly, very conservative, not, not terribly bold. The ANC, you know, in terms of they may not have executed brilliantly, but very ambitious, very bold, like amazing, you know, think the constitution, think BE, think, you know, like measures that have been pushed, but <laughs> definitely not, not efficient. So, you know, don't we deserve a kind of <laughs> an impact government, you know, yeah. it's just a... <laughs> about exactly that matrix bit using the government um, analogy that you did. And we were discussing about the fact that the ANC's roots are in Marxist ideology, whereas the DA's is in a much more... Yeah. Libertarian, yeah, even. Yeah, liberal, libertarian. Yeah. And so that's going to work towards a more um, institution-oriented, mm. cons conservation, conserving, and mm. not environmentally, but Mm. in terms of social and political institutions. Whereas Marxism is very much about breaking <laughs> mm. and revolutionizing what's there. And you actually need both impulses, mm. but one without the other is very damaging. Mm -hmm. um, so it's an interesting, again, to if you switch that, mm. leave that analogy and go back to the business analogy, mm. say one with the other, without the other is very damaging. Exactly, that's very powerful. So you, and, exactly, and you need so you need your sort of accountants, so your your you know compliance, your legal, your all that. But you also need the creative, you know, how we can do this. Not the, the instinct that says no, no, no. And actually, we genetically or, or neurologically wired for that. Um, some people are just more risk averse than, than others. It's fascinating. So, so just very just to set the scene. Um, I really believe that our broader investment market believes in impact. They want impact, but they want good solutions. They, they want you know, packaged um, fund solutions that they can get exposure to. It was so powerful, and they, they, the, the study then referenced international studies, and um, the, we stood out actually as being more um, demanding as an investment body of impact solutions, of, of wanting to have that exposure, that, um, and anticipating that impact investing will grow substantially over the next five years. Um, and then for me, what was interesting was 
and they did, did do it across ESG factors, but where, where, do you, where would South African pension funds like to have exposure in terms of solving some of our um, social and environmental challenges? And I don't think there's any surprise there, but overwhelmingly it was employment um, and inequality as far as your social um, concerns um, were, con were, were raised. And then on the environmental side, it was a combination of, of water and energy predominantly. Um, and of course, water gets much less focus, and yeah. part of that is because it sits as a public good and yeah. it's fraught. So what, what we've actually, um, over the years, what I feel like our flagship sort of fund solutions have been around job creation, mm. partnering with the Jobs Fund. So we now, now actually it's fourth, but third properly, um, iteration of, of partnering with the Jobs Fund. So we signed a grant agreement with them at the end of last year. Um, and we're implementing with our joint venture partner who is Sassman um, Asset Management, but we are, I'll tell you about it because I'm very excited about um, hopefully what, what we can try and try and achieve there in terms of getting more access to finance for, for SMEs um, and that's where the job creation will come from. But previously, so when we were at Atlantic, um, we applied to the job Fund. this was back in uh, 2014 and um, we were successful and at the time we were um, proposing something which hadn't been done in, in South Africa before which was we said if we can put in place a guarantee mechanism um, which is free, it probably shouldn't be but it, it, it is, um, then we believe that we can mitigate the risk perception that pension funds have about lending to SMEs um, and, and job creation and impact investing and um, and we can actually make investments that wouldn't ordinarily be made um, because there's the safety of, of a guarantee in place mm -hmm. and we think that that will leverage pension funds into this, into this strategy. And so, you know, they, they, the, the Jobs Fund is a challenge fund. Some of you may have, may have worked with them. And so it's all around matched funding, but it's also around um, stimulating innovation. So it must be, you must do something that is fresh and can potentially be replicated. And um, our first one, we implemented, um, we raised, uh, we were meant to raise just under 400 million and we actually ended up raising close to 700 and then that grew over time because of course it's reinvested. So I left um, Ashburton who'd taken us over part of the first round group in uh, 2020. And this is a, a summary, we'd, so we then r repeated that, we um, raised another fund and in total, um, when I left, which and this is the numbers for June of 2020, um, I was very, very proud of this track record. Um, it, we had raised 1.6 billion from pension funds, largely, at some insurance as well. And our target job creation, remember the jobs fund are extremely, um, what's the what, right word? Rigorous. <laughs> in terms of um, the job creation and measuring that and evidencing it. And these had to always be, per they're slightly more relaxed now actually, but permanent jobs, permanent jobs. And sometimes yeah. you could negotiate proxies, but mm -hmm. th that is no mean task. To mm -hmm. <laughs> so we, we felt that they were shooting themselves in the foot a bit because they discarded so many jobs that they could have at least put in a different category. And so anyway, but, but so we created... Um, Call it fifteen and a half thousand ahead of our target. Um, so we've, needless to say, fortunately had a very good relationship yes. <laughs> with them, um, and you know worked very closely at the time with with Greater um, Capital in the beginning, and then with Dean and the team later on um, in terms of setting up systems um, for you know to ensure that that the job creation was credible, um, and then the investment performance was great. So investors very happy, never had any investors leaving, um, and it was actually a very easy sell in terms of attracting um, investors into that. Um, we, yeah, I mean, you know, we can, I'm happy to talk to you, but it was essentially our model here was lending um, not directly to SMEs, because we weren't a shadow bank, right? We were an asset manager, but our kind of trick, if you like, which we didn't do in 10, we sort of stumbled upon it, was to invest in non-banking financial intermediaries, NBFIs, who essentially are um, disintermediating the banks. So they're kind of the likes of, okay, it's a bit of a swear word now, but SA Taxi. Mm -hmm. um, it was hilarious when we... <laughs> I think it's still a very good business, but anyway, um, they 
they spotted a gap in the market. And all these intermediate, whether it's affordable housing, we invest a lot in affordable housing, um, healthcare solutions, kind of areas where essentially you were servicing mostly relatively um, lower income people, but who still had a, an aggregate, a great demand for um, you know, good quality affordable services, goods or services. And these intermediaries spotted that, that gap. And um, and they so they so we were lending to them who in turn were on lending to to SMEs. So that's how we you know had exposure to that sector and and the job creation. Um, what we what we know though, and I also did my masters in this in this space two years ago um, around the use of blended finance solutions and and how to stimulate job creation. Um, so I mean we know this very well in South Africa. We don't need to. Um, be preached to about unemployment and the, the, the scourge. But I don't know, I hadn't seen this. This is a, a, um, a friend of mine, Gabriel Deval, very interesting guy, who's been trying to put together an insurance model, actually, and he's done a lot of research. He's the ex-CEO um, of our national credit regulator, so he's, he's, he knows a thing or two and very good relationships into the sector. Can't get any of the big banks to buy into, into, this, into this model. Um, and I know from being inside the belly of the beast at first strand, we tried. We had so many great ideas, and we thought, "Wow, you got, you're going to love this." We 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 show. We we've done this. We got a track record. You know why? Mm -mm. Yeah. It's so siloed. It's yeah. so and KPIs are linked to other things. Yeah. <laughs> mm -hmm. Anyway, that's a whole other um, sort of conversation. But the sad truth in South Africa is, and. You know, um, just a bit of background. I, I don't know if you if you're aware of the Saab's program through COVID, and the bounce back program. Mm -hmm. So in COVID, the Saab put out a guarantee program of two billion, to which is which is fantastic. It was a great initiative. <coughs> it was incredibly stringent in terms of conditionality and and it, there was just pretty much very little uptake of that. Now bounce back <laughs> is is the new national treasury driven scheme to stimulate bank lending to SMEs. It's not, it's going nowhere. Um, and I firmly believe, I know um, access to finance is cited as, as the critical um, sort of uh, lack of um, enabling, I can't think of the, the right term, but it's, it's, it's the greatest constraint <coughs> to SMEs basically growing. There are lots of others and, and very good organizations and people working on, on many of the other factors um, that impede SME growth. But access to finance, and, and there's no getting away from the fact that banks are the engine for, for credit access. Um, I mean, you can have a business partners, and there are, you know, Spartan. I mean, there are a lot of good players in the space. But to get the kind of scale we need, I really believe that the, we have to crack um, bank lending into, into SMEs. And this tells you that story, because this is for um, the 10-year period 2008 to 2018. It's all, for, all from um, the Saab records. Um, your bank lending into consumer retail and, and big corporate absolutely dwarfs, particularly SME retail. Mm. Um, there's just very, very little penetration. And uh, compared to global, I know it's very difficult to see, but I'm, mm. I'm sure if you... Um, there's SA SME um, compared to a whole, a, a peer group. I mean, it, it, it's, yeah. it's really, it, it's a problem. Yeah. <laughs> we've, got to, we've got to get this right. Um, so, so what... What we've, and, and that's part of our joint venture with, with Sussman, we're very excited because um, they are genuinely a business with purpose. Um, I've been around a lot of blocks, so I wouldn't say that <laughs> insincerely. <laughs> the corporate culture is, is, is um, really a good one, and, and we've partnered now with them um, to partner with Jobs Fund. Big collaboration going on. Um, and they are so also just so intentional around how do we increase access to 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 credit. So we've relaxed the credit criteria for because we've oh sorry we've got a guarantee in place again. Okay, we you know if it ain't broke why <laughs> why fix it? Um, and and yes, um, we are competing against you know a bounce back um, kind of kind of program, um, and they know that it's sort of having two two horses in the race. And saying, guys, we think there's some fundamental ways we can do this better. And then, if we can show that it's that it's working, 
um, then you know we've got that demonstration effect hopefully and and we can scale this because we know investors will want to come into a solution mm -hmm. like this this is we've sort of looked at what what we've done previously okay, I won't bore you with it um, but you know we are we intentionally expecting our defaults to go up a, a bit with with SASFIN mm -hmm. we've got a guarantee in place we should um, but we are also <coughs> going to to manage it very very closely and this this is from my um, my, my thesis, um, I was very fortunate to get access to data for so all the, the three credit guarantee schemes in South Africa. Well, I, I claimed the Jobs Fund, our fund was, was one in the Jobs Fund program, and they very graciously gave me access to their data. And then Kula is the other one, um, Kula Guarantee, and, um, and then the third one is um, put through Tembani. So Tembani were the op operator and um, They've been in South Africa for a very <coughs> long time, so I had data from them as well. But I just thought for illustrative purposes, just to show you how, how sad, really, the performance has been for someone like Akula. So this uh, um, is the, the guarantees that they provided to the banks, only, only to the banks, just collapsed um, around here, yeah, around sort of 2006, 2007. And, um, and then, you know, there had been some uptake. The write-offs were horrendous as well. And it, that scheme is, for all intents and purposes, dying. So, you know, there's, there's very little stimulus for banks to, to, lend, to lend into this. So we're really hoping that we can, that we can um, get, that, get that right. Um, and yeah, I'm not sure if I've explained it well enough or if they're more, you know, but that's, that's kind of our mission at the moment. Um, we're working on some other things, but that's our, our big, big driver is to, is to yes. So I see it's additional risk uh, take-up, uh, and nobody's really that interested in that except SASFIN. I mean, what what made that shift to for SASFIN to say we'll take more risk? I mean, how was that shift? So I can be, well. So remember, we put in place a guarantee. Mm. So so if you if you've got that, then you've 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 got that buffer. Mm. You've, you've got that cushion. You know, if your strategy doesn't work, our thesis is that. Um, many times, trans and, and they concur with this, especially people in the bank who, who understand this, many times um, their criteria are kind of too strict. I mean, I, they wouldn't want me to say it probably like that. Um, but the rejection rate is about 80%. Yeah. And, um, and so surely, you know, you can, you can look to, perhaps it's an entrepreneur who is doing a new business line but has a decent track record elsewhere you know we've we've looked quite carefully at, at how we can expand credit and how mm -hmm. we could relax um, the collateral requirements sometimes are really ov yeah. uh, overly onerous we've got a guarantee do we really mm -hmm. need you know that so it's those kinds of factors that um, you know we've negotiated and and, and, and are prepared to um, to relax mm -hmm. um, so widening the criteria yeah. Yeah. W which because you know same old same old business as usual obviously mm -hmm. isn't going to change things. So we're deliberately trying to, uh, like, <laughs> give a little menage here. And, yeah. um, and Heather, where yeah. does the sorry, this might be a really basic question. Where does the guarantee come? From? Oh, from National Treasury. Okay. okay. So sorry. So yeah, I do talk. Uh, sorry, I've been doing it. To, so the National Treasury, <laughs> Pavan Gordon actually, when he was Minister of Finance back in 2011, made this announcement at the budget. Mm -hmm. And said and they launched the jobs fund, which yeah. was a nine billion program at the time, yeah. and they've just they've they've gone through successive windows, and um, invited applicants. The last one was the tenth and probably the final mm -hmm. window, um, and and you then go through. For us, it was I think it was about a nine month process of. Two okay, so it's like buy and buy a jobs fund. I've mm. worked with an organization that's worked with jobs funds. So yeah, no, they're, but, and um, they're superb. They really yeah, are. Yeah. Um, such a well-run you know, um, organ of government. So you'll be measuring jobs in these loan... In yes. Okay. Yes. Okay, yes. and the businesses re um, report that to you. Yes. How does it work? Yes, okay. yes. So we require that in the loan agreement. Okay. okay. And Heather, am I correct that um, for jobs fund... They've only done this kind of approach of the guarantee with, you know, when the previous funds that you've worked on. I don't think they've provided mm -hmm. any others. Have yeah, they? they have actually, um, and that's always the intention. <coughs> the so we always said we're not yeah, like yeah, yeah. jealous about this. Is we want to copycat mm -hmm. um, because that's the whole idea behind. So uh, twenty seven four, 
who are a multi-manager, um, they've done a private equity sort of version okay. of it. Okay. Yeah, and we've okay. actually helped them, you know, chatted yes. with them quite a lot around, around it. Okay. Yeah, and I think that's also been very successful. Yes. Um, that's great. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't... I mean, um, Green Outcomes Fund, which mm-hmm. is mm-hmm. a bit, bit different, but, yeah. Okay. Sort of, you know, in that, yes. in that sort of kind of space. Yeah. The bulk of them have been more kind of the match funding to something different. So, yes. So what we actually said, which is, um, <laughs> we, th- we s- so people, you know, when we were pitching this, presenting this to pension funds, they'd look and they'd go, this guarantee's free, and it's like, mm, too good. <laughs> and I'd say, you know, yes, you're right, there is a catch here. But the catch is that you as the taxpayer are funding this. Um, so that's, you know, and it's a bit inefficient. So, so the model for the challenge fund was matched funding, uh, one for one, typically. And the idea was, so for example, Microsoft, one of the early recipients, and theirs was a training program. And so whatever they received from Jobs Fund, they matched, they trained, the mm-hmm. money was spent. We said, no, um, you know, we actually think that this is an evergreen solution. Mm-hmm. We put in place this guarantee. We don't expect to draw on it. Um, we're going to try not to, but, but we're going to use it to, mm-hmm. to have what is perceived to be lending to a riskier segment. We don't actually mm-hmm. think it is. We yeah. can manage that. Um, and, um, and, and then, you know, and actually, and it was all borne out. We had one tiny default in all the, in all the years. Um, and um, so the money actually still sits there. It's still good for crowding in, you know, additional investors. And, and that's very much our model now as well. Yeah. So I had an observation that like that matrix you provided, <laughs> the South African government doesn't seem to be in the top right-hand quadrant, but the jobs fund at least mm. deserves mm. to be there, right? Exactly. So my question is, after <coughs> the evidence, because I mean, if we yeah. talk about what's around the region, the thing that we care about, I think, consistently is evidence. You have evidenced this. Mm-hmm. Why isn't it becoming... <laughs> Yeah, that's your question as well. Mm-hmm. Oh, gosh. I mean, I can only speak from... Hmm. I, don't, I don't know, Colin. I mean, I think it's so complex. It's, it, it's, um, people are more drawn to just doing the same old, same old. You know, mm-hmm. rinse, well, rinse, repeat. What are talking about? Because I think how, how much money is, mm. is, is in this little mini-economy of... This um, job fund is going to dictate how much attention gets paid to it. Well, are you talking about the broader savings industry? No. No. This example that. Sorry, I'm losing track of what's the size of the market. Uh, well, the market, yeah, the, the overall market that you could attract into these solutions, and that's why I showed that no, thing I mean about pension. What, what you've actually spent and has been returned. What you've actually loaned and been returned. Oh, it's all been returned. I know, but, but what's the amount, the total amount? Oh, oh, oh. Because oh, people oh. are interested in total dollar amount. The more dollars or rents. So the funds in total, when I left, they're now sitting at about $2 billion. Okay, right. So, so that was what was raised and, and invested. And because um, of the nature of, of a pension fund, they typically don't withdraw um, because they're in it for the long haul. Yeah. Um, our strategy now, we our initial... Um, Capital raise and we've already raised it is is four hundred million, and then we will be scaling that um, depending on the performance. Post uh, two years, we look to scale that up to a billion as well. And then, you know, if you prove if you prove that, then we will um, source alternative um, guarantee funds. So in fact, predating Treasury, um, when I was at Cadiz, we put in place a USAID guarantee. Um, so that was actually the blueprint. That's where the you know the whole kind of concept yeah. originated, if you like. Um, for me, if you can if you can show that you are, are are able to develop that track record, and then you know, it's it's a it's a strategy that you can hopefully convince you know more investors. Yeah. The one of our great um, benefits in South Africa, and in fact in Southern Africa, is that we are richly endowed in terms of our savings industry. So we actually are on a par with OECD countries as in terms of savings as a percentage of GDP. It's very close to 100%. Um, but most of that gets invested in 
you know, traditional yeah. um, mm-hmm. investment strategies, which, mm-hmm. you know, you can't, you, you have to, your people have a fiduciary responsibility to their, to their investments yeah. and their savings. Mm-hmm. But I suppose as an impact investor, you just, you're trying to make the case that mm-hmm. you can have both. Mm-hmm. And I think my, maybe I, maybe I was clear and I just, it's not a, a relevant point, but my question is your question. Like, okay, this works. So why aren't more traditional institutions saying, okay, the risks aren't what we thought, let's jump in and join the party. And my, the only thing that I can think of that would not make them do that is because there isn't enough capital flow yet in this to, to make them sit up and pay attention. The more money that is deployed this way and that comes with, yeah. uh, delivers what you're talking about. Correct. And more people pay attention. So Jin, for example, do a lot of good work in that respect because they, you know, one of their strategies has been to try and say, hey guys, we're getting to this tipping point. You know, look at all the money that's going into impact investing <laughs> and researching that um, on, a, on, a, on a global level. That's certainly happening. Um, but yeah, it's still, it is still niche. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I worked for a, a non-profit bank in the States that had like a billion dollars in, in assets mm-hmm. and it was making use of, it was, a, it was a, called a CDFI, mm-hmm. or a Community Development Finance Institution, and it was making use of guarantees mm-hmm. that the government was, and then, and then directing that into kind of more socially motivated programs. Is there any landscape for that in South Africa, like, because th- this reminds me of that, like, mm. we're doing the lending with the with the guarantee. Is is is, is there any conversation around kind of <laughs> like having specialized banking for for kind of with a social purpose or? I mean, I guess that's what that graph. Yeah, I, that's my point. I don't um, I don't think it the capacity exists mm. to to do that from a government organ. <coughs> Just doesn't. Um, uh, we, you know, we've had like the Development Bank of Southern Africa, for example, as well. Um, so, I mean, one of the other areas that we work um, a lot in is, is infrastructure and infrastructure solutions, because mm. you know we've and, and our institutional investors are very underexposed outside of the renewable energy program. There's very little exposure to, and particularly water infrastructure, mm. and. Um, <laughs> what we've learned over the, over the last se- several years um, of engaging a lot with these different organizations, with like the Development Bank, the Presidential Commission, the Infrastructure Program, that there's a lot of fanfare around all year. It's, it's so hollow. Um, and what, what, what happens, we worked on a World Bank project, or funded by the World Bank, um, to look at metros, six metros in South Africa. Um, it closed out last year. And to look at um, their funding requirements around infrastructure, and there were was particular programs chosen because they were at the most advanced stage, and it was looking at how do we help them come to market so that they're in a position to actually finance from private sector raise, mm. and nothing came of it, mm. and and the, the development bank when you push them for what tangible what pipeline what actual investment opportunities are there there is I promise you zero. Um, these things are perpetually going around this is what I call like a washing machine of project preparation mm-hmm. and project preparation <laughs> detracts a lot of people because mm-hmm. consultants and, and it's just, it's just that, that never sees the light of day and you know we see the results um, so yeah we, we're like a bit stuck actually in, in that way I'm just curious, um, given the current situation that South Africa is in, um, in terms of the energy um, shortage that we're experiencing, so do you have any touch points with the just energy mm-hmm. transition <laughs> investments, like even the investment plan, like the JIP, or um, mm-hmm. are you doing any just transition work? Because I think yeah. the government, especially now, there's a lot of attention on, on the just transition. Um, I know since 2016 it came to light with the first mention of it but it feels like it's only now that there's this this attention given to it and especially with like the TVET program going alongside that and I suppose that's also that also has some um, touch points with the job the jobs fund um, because it's a um, it's a presidential program 
I was, yeah, I was just wondering if you are doing anything in line with the Just Transition or yeah. there's any touch points that you can. Because yeah. I do think that's a marketing opportunity. I that know. You need to I know. I, I mean, I'm a huge <laughs> proponent of, of Just Transition, and I, I'm actually on a on a working group um, that is working and and oh God, he will find it by Sandy Leuven from um, Tips is leading it. And, and I mean, and it's such well-intentioned people. It's a really great, great group. Um, sure, it, it, it's sad, actually. It's not happening. Yeah. It is not happening. And I mean, I, I really, um, also wearing my hat on the board of uh, Impact Investing South Africa, we're very involved and we've been very involved with the Office of the Presidency and Daniel Manelli's team there. And of course, he's resigned. Mm. Um, he was told... Initially, he was told, look, I mean, I'm going to say something a little untoward, I guess, but um, be careful of legitimizing something that isn't actually genuine. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think we've seen the announcements that actually the eight and a half billion is being walked away from. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and we know the reasons. Yeah. But I still think it's got enormous potential. So, for example, Anglo-American are doing a- in yes. amazing work, particularly in Limpopo. The venture funds. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yes. And, and, um, and Just Transition features prominently. Um, and again, I think it's going to be up to private sector to you know, rally and um, because there's a real powerful potential you know, to use that as an engine of, of, of growth um, you know, with the rollout of renewables and yeah. Yeah, I do think there's more space for other investors to get on board, but like with the, um, the investment group or the investment partner group, that gave that billions of money to us and are going to back, it, it back. Was and it's 4% of it only is a grant. Mm. The rest, everything mm. else is a loan. Mm. Like when we're already in debt, where are we going to make the money? And mm. I'm thinking like the job creation, maybe giving it back to the to the SME space is definitely, I think, a priority where there's most opportunities to grow. Mm. But, um, there's no shortage of funding. if. There are a lot of um, development finance institutions, you know, multinationals operating in, in this environment. It's about, you know, f- a, a credible solution. Yeah. Um, and I think that's really the, 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 the challenge. So I don't, I, you know, the eight and a half billion, it w- should have, in fact, <laughs> when was this? It was very much still COVID, but I was invited as Impact Investing South Africa to speak. Um, there's a UN something or other uh, um, sort of conference um, and they wanted somebody from South Africa to speak about Just Transition um, and so I, I did, wearing my impact investing <laughs> and actually all they were, in, it was fascinating because then I did a little um, research on, on Vietnam and I was kind of wow and they were berating themselves because <coughs> unemployment had climbed from 3 to 6% or something and it was like you know, this is a really a great success story in many respects. And they were, we tried to understand how South Africa scooped that. Like, well, that was all it was about. They weren't really interested in, it was just like, how did you manage to pull that off? And, and actually, it was down to ESCOM, funnily enough. It was, and there was an amazing woman who was working there. You know, they kind of, at COP26, sort of in the build-up to that behind the scenes, they... They, they managed to actually get this pledge, which could have been, I think, you know, channeled to very good use, but, yeah. I'd like to get a question in. Thank you for the very interesting presentation. Uh, I just wanted to get your perspective. What do you think are the main reasons for the low uptake of the South African banking sector, like taking on to impact investing? What, are, what do you think are those main reasons? And from your perspective, what do you think it's going to take to actually crack banking sector going forward if you think it's such a pivotal mm. sort of um, instrument in the cog, you know I can actually be quite sim- simplistic I think in, in answering that and I, I know you can g- get into layers and layers KPIs um, if you don't from the top down incentivize behavioural change <laughs> it really mm-hmm. I'm afraid, you know, that's kind of the main the main driver. Um, I did, for my dissertation, I was lucky enough to interview people from other banks as well as um, FNB. And 
Yeah, that pretty much that came out pretty strongly, actually. I mean, it's a, <laughs> and also I guess you know business is doing very well, so why would you want to change? change? Um, yeah. But it's okay. Can I just end on one on one thing? Because I know we all get a bit down on ourselves. <laughs> so <laughs> this this I thought this was actually just also um, quite sad, but also quite funny in a way. Uh, is misperceptions index um, across the world, and they interview people around their perceptions on mm. mostly horrible things. Um, and South Africa has the worst perception of ourselves. Um, collectively, I mean, it's quite. <laughs> there, there we are. We just think things are so much worse than they really are. So, for example, people were surveyed. Um, you know, what do you think's happened to the murder rate from two thousand till now? This was uh, twenty eighteen, and they said it's gone up eighty five percent on average. They thought it's it's actually gone down by thirty <laughs> percent. Teenage pregnancies. They thought forty four percent of teenagers, and actually it's four point four. And it's just things like that. I mean, you know, so we are quite hard on ourselves. Um, we're also, I think, very innovative, very, mm. very, yeah. you know, survival. Mm, I mean, we, mm. we make a plan. Great. Uh, we've got, yeah. So. And with coming here, moving back here, <laughs> the number of South Africans who have basically spoken like that to mm. us as to why we shouldn't return, mm. but also it goes in the other direction that their perceptions of how life is in the uh, West, yeah. and in particular the global North, mm. is also very distorted as if everything is just rosy and golden. Mm -hmm. and it's not. Mm -hmm. Like, there's a lot of social breakdown going on in, mm -hmm. in the UK and mm -hmm. Canada, US. Um, so yeah, it's very, it's very interesting. <laughs> the well, amount of energy that has been directed yeah. at us not to return. There's that famous um, graph, it's a, a UK um, academic plotting social ills, various mm -hmm. like criminal and health and whatever, against inequality. And there's a very direct correlation between mm. your level of well-being, if you like, and, and your inequality. And so the, the Scandinavian, no surprise, Scandinavian countries are, you know, best in terms of, of those outcomes um, and, and most unequal, uh, mo least. least equal, mm. least unequal. Um, <laughs> and they, um, there's the quip was, if you want to live the American dream, move to Denmark. <laughs> 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 Thank you very much to Heather Jackson for sharing her experience on impact investing. This has been an Impact for Breakfast podcast. For more information about Relative Impact and the work we're doing, check out our website and sign up to our newsletter to get updates directly to your inbox.